Well, it's good to see everyone this morning, and it's good to be here with you. And we are back in, uh, we will be back in the Gospel of Matthew, and our theme for this year, Living the Light, as we walk through the Sermon on the Mount. But I want to um, maybe take you a little bit further down into uh, the New Testament to begin with, with uh, one of the other disciples, the Apostle John. And in his epistle of 1 John, writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in and through his heart and his life, John tells us that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And he's not talking about, it's Chinese New Year's, right? Well, he's not talking about Chinese New Year's. We're free from that. He's talking about the light of God's word, the light of the Bible. He's not talking about an Eastern or pagan religion. He's not talking about yin and yang. He's not talking about a balance between the forces of good and evil that hold everything together. Well, the implication of this is that where God's light is present, Darkness cannot exist and darkness will be destroyed. And he's pointing to the holiness of God's person and character and all that God is. And then later in this same epistle, in case we were confused about that and thought he was maybe some Gnostic sage or some Hindu guru, he writes, as he explains very specifically, why God sent his son into the world. Why did Jesus come? He says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose. To destroy the works of the devil. And this, brothers and sisters, is a believer's confidence. This is a believer's hope. This is a believer's joy. This, brothers and sisters, is what Scripture calls the good news And it's what it calls salvation. That Christ has come. He has entered into our darkness. The King and Lord of light. And he has done so with the express purpose. And he has accomplished through giving his life on the cross. As a sacrifice and as a substitute for sinners like you and I. The destruction of the works of the devil. In our hearts, in our lives, in our homes. And God knows we need it in the world in which we live. So that sinners like you and I might no longer be slaves of sin and children of darkness. But instead in Christ we might be children of light. Free to live a life that is in the world but not of the world. Free to live a life that is blessed by God but cursed by the world. Free to live a life that destroys the works of the devil. Yes, that is what Christ calls for. But to do so like Jesus did. By the power of the cross. Not by legislation. Not by armies and soldiers and guns and pistols. Not by lobby groups, but by the power of the cross. Why? Because this, brothers and sisters, is the life Christ died 
to give us. This, brothers and sisters, is his life. He has given us nothing less. And this is our joy and privilege. And this is what we celebrate as Christians. And this is what sets apart the life of a child of God. And this is what sets apart the true ecclesia, the church. It's not all our whistles and bells. It is the precious and holy light of Christ's life. And this, brothers and sisters, is what changes everything. It is a God-given life that is salt and light, just like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And this, brothers and sisters, is what the Beatitudes are all about. And this is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's about living a life that is different from the rest of the world. Not by being a monk, not by climbing to the top of a mountain. It's about living a life that belongs to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is what it means to live the light. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Can I have my next slide, please? And I'll take you to verse 7. We'll start partway through the Beatitudes, and we will go to verse 16. This is our Lord and Savior talking, and he's speaking to the disciples. He says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. One of my greatest joys that God's given me as a pastor is officiating on behalf of the church the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman whom God has brought together. And perhaps the moment of greatest celebration, the moment before the applause and the cheers, is when on behalf of the Lord and on behalf of His church, I get to pronounce this man and woman husband and wife. And by God's grace... From that moment onwards, everything changes. In fact, you could argue that everything has been leading up to this point in the wedding ceremony and in their entire lives. 
And at that moment that I get to pronounce, I now pronounce to you for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so, there's cheers and applause. Applause. Because from that moment onwards, these two individuals now together have become something and someone totally different than what they were just a few minutes or a few moments before. Singles, individuals, living in separate places, living separate lives. And a moment later, by the grace of God, they become husband and wife. They become one flesh and they begin a new life together that is completely and utterly different than the lives they had before. Now singles, don't feel jealous. According to God's word, marriage is not a better life. And if you ask married couples, depending on which day you get them, you'll see. And don't forget that Jesus was single. And don't forget that according to Jesus, heaven's greatest joy is not over earthly weddings. It's over each and every sinner who repents. That's what gives God and heaven reason to jump up and down and celebrate. Marriage is simply God's metaphor for the life of grace He gives to all His children. Male, female, single, married, young and old. It's His gift of the life of being united with His Son, Jesus Christ. The marriage of the bride of Christ with the holy and eternal Son of God. That is God's great gift. And that's what marriage is for, which is temporary. This life, this world. But that's what it's been given for, is to point us to the beauty of what God has done. That He has changed us, that we are completely different by His grace. And we have this new life that we share and we partake, and that belongs to Him. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to those who by faith in him, they've repented and left everything to follow him as the Messiah and the King of God's word. And when Jesus says to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And he's speaking to them together, not individually, collectively. As the Son of God and as the Messiah, just like at a wedding, Jesus is pronouncing who and what His disciples now are. And there's nothing they can do to change that. Rick Holland used to joke and jest when people asked, is this the person for me when they get married? And he would say something like, have, have you said I do? Well, it's done. Right? Nothing changing. And Jesus is coming to them, these men who have left everything, their livelihood, their families, and they are following Jesus. He is pronouncing now that they are something completely different by the grace of God. Everything has changed, and they need to be informed of that. And if you will, the Beatitudes building up to that are like the wedding charge, explaining what this new life is that they've been given to live. Poor in spirit, mourning over sin, 
hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, calling sinners to be reconciled with the Lord. They are now, from this moment onwards, completely different because of their relationship with Jesus. They are no longer what they were because of Him. They are no longer children of darkness. They are no longer slaves of sin because of Christ. They are now children of light. They are now part of his life. And that brings us to our first point this morning. Living the light is about being part of Christ's life, Christ's family, and Christ's ministry. Living the light is about being part of Christ's life and family and ministry. There is, as you've heard, no room within the gospel for lone rangers or individual stars... When Christ saves someone, he brings them into his life, into his family, and into his ministry. And this, brothers and sisters, is good news. And in scripture, from the beginning, one of the primary metaphors that the Lord uses to help us understand this, one of the primary metaphors the Lord uses to describe his character and his activity and his fellowship, all that he is and all that he does, is light. And in scripture, light points to the exclusive holiness of God. His infinite and his unchanging and his incomparable goodness and greatness. By contrast, darkness is what the Lord uses in scripture to describe all that he is not. All that he hates And all that he promises to destroy. In scripture, darkness typically points to all that is unholy and all that is evil. And this is what the Apostle John is talking about in 1 John 1.5. When he writes, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He's making reference... To scripture, John, when you go through the gospel of John and 1 John, he is making continual references to the Old Testament. That is his framework of understanding the language that he uses. And he's referring, when he says God is light and in him is no darkness at all, he's referring to the unique and exclusive holiness of God. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Jesus is saying he is all that the God of the Bible is. He is all that the God of the Bible does. And everything and everyone else in this world is darkness. All that God is not, all that God hates, all that God promises to destroy. Heartwarming, popular going to bring lots of people, right? This is why the Jews who understood their scripture and heard Jesus say these words in the temple at the Feast of Tabernacles wanted to stone Jesus. They wanted to kill him. And eventually they would, and they would put him on a cross by way of the Romans. But this is exactly what Matthew points out to us in Matthew chapter 4 to explain Jesus' arrival and the beginning of Jesus' gospel ministry in Galilee. Matthew, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he quotes Isaiah 9 2. 
when Jesus arrives and begins his ministry in Galilee. Isaiah 9-2, the people dwelling in darkness have seen what? What did they see? You can say it. A great light. Yes, thanks, Matt. A great light. Not just a light, a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them, a light has dawned. What is the only remedy and salvation for a world of darkness and evil and sin? Well, according to God's word, it is not a better electric electric guitar. It is not a better iOS system. It is not a better computer. It is not solar energy. It's not a better search engine. All the things that we celebrate and that this world offers in order to find remedies for what's going on. The only remedy, brothers and sisters, according to God's word, for this world that is tearing itself apart, is the light of God. The light of God himself. His holy presence. All that God is and all that God does, drawing near to us. Coming close. Dispelling the darkness. And Matthew writes, after saying that, he says in verse 17, 417, he says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then in verse 19, And he said to them, to Simon and Andrew, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's the light coming near. That's the holiness of God. That's his exclusive and infinite holiness. Now when Christians, especially in the States, when we explain our salvation, we typically talk about inviting Christ into our lives. It's a phrase I've used many times. But according to Matthew, if we pay close attention to what he's saying, from the moment Jesus arrives and he says, a great light has come for a people who are dwelling in darkness. And then he proceeds to document Jesus proclaiming the gospel. Repent, the implication you're in sin, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then asking the disciples who are fishermen to come and follow him And I will make you fishers of men. I don't think it's hard to see that according to Matthew, we have it backwards, brothers and sisters. And what we've done, and I've done it many times, is we minimize how great a salvation God has given us, how great his love for us is, and how great a blessing that he provides for us in Christ. Because the salvation and rescue of a people living and enslaved in darkness begins with the light of God's word in love, in mercy, drawing near and calling children of darkness to follow him by faith. 
to leave behind our lives and our kingdoms and our ministries and our families of darkness and to become part of his gospel life, part of his family, part of his ministry, part of his kingdom of light. We lose track of this, brothers and sisters, and we think of becoming a Christian as like taking a vitamin. You invite Jesus into your heart. You take a pill in the morning like cod liver oil, and you take a little bit every day, and hopefully you don't die at the end. And when it's all over, you get to where you need to be. But as we come to God's Word, we see that is not the good news of our salvation. The good news of our salvation is Jesus has performed a rescue operation. He's come into our lives where we are held hostage and enslaved by the darkness of our hearts, our sin, our lusts, our lies. And he comes in and he gets a hold of us and the light shines upon us and he grabs us and he calls us and he commands us to leave it all behind so that we can come with him and so that we can leave the chains behind and we can enter into his kingdom, not just so that we can sit there like second class citizens or illegal aliens, but so that we can be part of his life and his ministry and his kingdom and his family. That's why when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, in contrast to the Old Testament, Jesus uses the word Father, Abba, over and over and over again, the intimate expression of a relationship between a child and its loving parent. This is what he's done. He's made us part of his family. And this is what changes everything. And this is why the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1, 13 through 14, writes... He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom? In Christ, part of Christ, in whom? We have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And I believe because we've been peddling a false gospel, which is easy for people to take, just say a prayer, just take it like a pill, nothing needs to change. People miss out on the beauty of who God is, the greatness of his love and what he's doing in our lives. And then we continue to live like illegal aliens, covering everything up, hiding everything, getting along, can't leave. I had a kind friend of mine. He escaped from an Eastern European country while it was still under communist rule. He became successful in California. Multiple businesses. And yet his wife would tell me every night he would put an apple and some yogurt and a piece of food by his bedside. Because he was still living as if he was in the Eastern Bloc with the fear of, I may have to get up in the middle of the night. I may have to run. I may not have food. He knew what it was like to be hungry, but he couldn't, even though he was living in one of the best neighborhoods in the United States. And brothers and sisters, sometimes that's the way we function. And Jesus is coming when he says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You're a part of my life. You're a part of my ministry. You're a part of my family. And he's going to go on and address anxiety in Matthew 6. And says, you don't need to worry and be freaked out like street children. You are part of the family of light. Your father loves you and he's going to take care of you in the same way he loves and takes care of me. 
Brothers and sisters, the good news of what saves us and transforms us and changes who we are. It's not our decision to make Christ a part of our dark lives. It's the mercy and grace of Christ making us a part of His life. What we do not deserve. Making us a part of all that He is. Making us a part of all that He does. And making us a part of His ministry of the gospel to call sinners to repentance. This, brothers and sisters, is what turns darkness into light. And so this is why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.8, he writes, For at one time you were darkness. That's what you were. Now for us, we were all respectable darkness, but we were still darkness. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light. What? It's up there on the big screen, isn't it? In the Lord. And that phrase in the Lord is used repeatedly throughout Paul's epistles as a reference to our union with Christ, that we are married to Christ, that there is nowhere you can go if you are truly a child of God and Christ is not present. What good news and what joy. You can be feeling terrible, you can be feeling hurt, you can be feeling lonely. But your corrupted feelings will deceive you. The truth of God's word is if you are a child of God, there is no place you will go where Christ is not present. And there are times, brothers and sisters, in our humanity and our frailty, where we must trust the truth of God's word rather than our experiences, our expectations, and our feelings. Because only God's word points north and will bring us home. My wife and I, we have an open secret. Contradiction in terms, right? Before she married me, my Korean wife was not a fan of Chinese men. She was not a fan of Chinese food. And she was not a fan of Chinese churches. What happened? It wasn't me. It was Jesus. Who could do such a powerful thing, right? But when Julie married me, she had to let go of everything. Her identity, her life, her past, her home, all of those different things. She moved from a much bigger home into my little two-bedroom, one-bathroom place. But she had to let go of everything to become part of my life, to become part of my family. To become part of my ministry in Christ. And goodness knows if Jesus wasn't there, she wouldn't be with me, I don't think. That was the only light that basically brought her in. But I use this, brothers and sisters, by way of illustration. When Jesus says to his disciples... You are the light of the world. And he says it collectively to all of them. He's making it very clear. They're no longer what they once were, children of darkness. By God's grace, they're with him. What a comfort and what a joy in a harsh and cruel world. Your friends will let you down. Your family will let you down. Chinese New Year it will let you down. But when you're with Christ, he does not divorce. 
He is not unfaithful. He is the light of the world. And they are now by faith a part of all that Jesus is and all that Jesus does. His life, his family, and his gospel ministry. You don't get to pick and choose, brothers and sisters. I'll be part of this aspect of Jesus' life, but I'm not going to be part of this aspect of Jesus' life. We like to do that at church at different times. We've got an elder for the children's ministry and we've got an elder for counseling and we've got an elder for preaching and we like to stay in that lane. That's our human disposition. We like to do what we're good at. Well, you don't get to do that with Jesus, do you? When guys come to me and they tell me, I'm not gifted in this area. And so I was like, hey brother, when you're married to your wife, are you gifted at cleaning out the dishes? Are you gifted at doing the wash or you get well you're going to do whatever you have to do in that home right gifted or not gifted it ain't going anywhere those dishes in the sink right when we become part of the life of Jesus it's a joy brothers and sisters to do the dishes to wait at the door to do all of those things why just when you first fall in love like you fall in that hole why is it a joy because I get to be there with that person And I get to be part of their life. And when you see someone who's truly saved, when the Lord asks them to do whatever, pick up a Kleenex off the floor, they're thankful and joyful to do it because they would rather be a servant in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And this, brothers and sisters, is the good news of God's word. This is what saves us and this is what changes everything and this is what changes our patterns, our habits, our ways of thinking, all that we are and all that we do. And this brings us to our second point this morning. Living the light is about shining with Jesus and shining like Jesus. Living the light is about shining with Jesus and like Jesus. Brothers and sisters, from Genesis to Revelation, the light of God's holiness because of what it is and what it always will be. It always exposes and destroys darkness. It always reveals God's holiness. And it always points us to God's lordship and life. Three essential functions of what God's holy light always does. It exposes and destroys darkness. It reveals God's holiness. It points us to God's lordship, his sovereign control over all things in his life. And from creation to Adam and Eve to Abraham to Moses to Isaiah to the disciples, this is the work of God's light. And this is why Isaiah in Isaiah 6, when Isaiah comes into the presence of the Lord and he sees the glory of the Lord, Isaiah's response is, woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. Previously, he's been looking at all the sins of his people and then he realizes as good as I am when I come into the light. And that light dispels the darkness and I can see what I truly am before God. I might be better than everybody else, but before God, I am a wretched sinner who deserves to be destroyed. He sees God's holiness. But by God's mercy and grace, he is brought to the lordship and life of God that only God can give. By paying for the price. And we see something very similar in Luke chapter 5 with Simon Peter. When Jesus tells Simon Peter to throw his nets on the other side of the boat. Jesus has been preaching. 
And Peter begins to see who Jesus truly is. He sees the light of the world in his boat. This is not an ordinary man. And Luke 5, 8 says, He fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. God's light, when it comes near, brothers and sisters, does the same thing each time. This, brothers and sisters, is the light of the gospel. This is how it shines. This is what it does wherever it goes. It attracts attention by exposing and destroying darkness, by revealing God's holiness, and by bringing sinners into a confrontation with the lordship and life of God. And this, brothers and sisters, is what brings sinners to repentance. And this is what brings salvation and change in some. But it's also what alienates and defends most. That was Jesus' life and his ministry. That's the light of the gospel as you walk through. And when Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world, he's showing them because they are now part of his life and his family and his ministry, because they are now something completely different, children of light rather than darkness, by God's grace, they have now become part of his gospel light. They are an extension of Christ. They are one with him. And this is why when Paul is persecuting the church as Saul, Jesus confronts him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What you're doing to my children, incarcerating, locking them up, you're doing it to me personally. Whatever you do to Julie, you're doing to me. They are an extension of the life and light of Christ that saves and changes some and offends and alienates many. And they cannot change that and they cannot hide that because that is who they are. Brothers and sisters, do our lives together expose and destroy darkness? Do our lives together with Christ reveal God's holiness in our places of work or where we vacation? Do our lives point to the lordship and life of God as opposed to the lordship and life of this dark and fallen world. Well, according to Jesus, this is what his children are and this is what they do. They are the light of the gospel shining in and through God's local church, God's people in a dark world, saving and changing some and alienating Many. And the thing about light and the thing about salt is nothing can change what it is and what it does. The best that we can do when the light is bright is we can try and turn it down. Like when you wake up or you're traveling and the light is bright coming through that window and all you can do is try and hide or put a cover over your head. You cannot change what light is and you cannot change what light does. And to try to do so is absolute folly. And this is why Jesus says to his disciples, a city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. 
and it gives light to all in the house. Now, growing up Asian in Canada, as I've shared with you, all I wanted to do was blend in. I was this lone Asian guy in this white high school. All you wanted to do was blend in because if you stood out as an Asian, it was going to be painful and it was going to be shameful. You know it was coming for you. And brothers and sisters, this tends to be our propensity in our flesh. This is the propensity of darkness, of wanting to be like everybody else, of wanting to blend in to protect ourselves or to go to the other extreme to want to be a star and draw a lot of attention when it benefits ourselves. It goes from those two extremes. And if you look at the church, we tend to hover in those two extremes too. We either want to blend in and not look different so nobody takes notice and nobody gives us a hard time or we want to be the rock stars of the church world and the world for all the things we do, building hospitals, virtue signaling, building and doing great works in the local We want either extreme so that we have favor. Either we blend in or you think we're rock stars. But Jesus is coming and he's connecting this with the beatitude life. Those who are poor in spirit. Those who mourn over sin. This life that is his life. That is different. And he's saying if you truly belong to me. If you are a child of God. If you're filled with my life and my light. You can't turn my life and my light down. It's a contradiction. And the only people who do that. Are people who are not truly. Filled with my life and my light. Light doesn't do that. It doesn't turn the light switch down. It doesn't change what it is. It just continues being what it is and doing what it does. And we see that this propensity, if it persists and goes on and on to compromise, to change, to try and say, let's not talk too much about sin. Let's not talk about repentance because that offends people. Maybe you could have said it differently, Pastor Mark, in a way that was a little more winsome or, or whatever. Now, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about God's word. Okay? We've got to say that spirit and that mindset is flesh and darkness because that's what the darkness does. The darkness says, turn down the lights. They're too bright. Maybe just dim it so we get halfway, so I can get what I want to get done without it being too bright and too uncomfortable. But that's the whole purpose of the light. Jesus points out that if we're really part of his life, his family, and his ministry, we are the elephant in the room. In your place of work. I know it's hard. I know it's lonely. I know you are different. But the comfort that you get is not to come from your peers, brothers and sisters. Those are the ones who you're calling out of darkness or who God is calling out of darkness in and through you. Blurring the lines and making it okay that we're all even and we're all going to heaven and everything's good and it's no big deal. And you can profess to be a Christian and live a completely different life. That isn't going to save anybody, brothers and sisters. That's going to take them to hell faster. It is uncomfortable. It is difficult. You are the elephant in the room. And the comfort that you need 
and the balm and the healing that you need and the salve for your loneliness and the isolation is to come from Christ and the people of God. And that's why Jesus says, you are the light of the world. He's saying you collectively to the disciples together. It's our beatitude life, brothers and sisters, our poverty of spirit, our mourning and grieving over sin, a life of being merciful to those who are unkind to us. This, brothers and sisters, is what shines the light of the gospel in our places of work, our soccer teams, our sports, our public schools. It's the light of Christ's life being lived in And through us. And this, brothers and sisters, is what brings salvation to a world of darkness that so desperately needs it but hates it at the same time because it reminds them of what they are. A successful job doesn't cut it with the Lord, a successful car and house does not cut it with the Lord. And for us, brothers and sisters, to minimize the light of the gospel, to cut it off, is, as Jesus points out, trying to hide that city on a hill or put a bushel over a lamp, it is irrational. And it is darkness. Dare I say, it is demonic. I read a study recently, not done by believers, who said that by 2070, America will no longer be a Christian nation. It will be a minority. 94% of the people will celebrate Christmas. But the actual people who have any connection to the church whatsoever, gone. 2070, that's where we're going. We are a pagan nation. And if you watch our movies and you see our superheroes, it's all a celebration of pagans and pagan gods are great. The God of the Bible, let's turn, turn down the volume on that aspect. But one of the points that was made in this study, which I found interesting because it was done by someone who wasn't a Christian, is they pointed out that all the traditional denominations that had compromised and said, well, we will just embrace everyone. We will allow women pastors. We will allow gender. We will do everything that the world says so that people will feel welcome. They're among the churches that are dying the fastest. When it comes to the light of the gospel, brothers and sisters, when it comes to all that God is and what he does, compromise kills. Compromise kills. It's the light, brothers and sisters, that saves. And as we tell sinners that they are in sin, that they are not right with God, that they are living in darkness and there's a day of reckoning, but there is a God of grace who is greater than their sin and he is a holy God and he has provided a way through the death of his son for sinners to come out of darkness and to walk in the light. Brothers and sisters, we are showing the greatest love, the greatest kindness and the greatest mercy, as J.C. Ryle says in that little book of repentance, which I give many of you, as he says, what, what person, what loving person will not tell that person who is in a house that's in the middle of a mudslide or a fire, how loving is it to say, you're fine, you're doing okay, just stay there a little longer. Brothers and sisters, we are cities on a hill that can't be hidden. And when we start to try and hide, we are no longer the light and we are no longer the city on the hill. 
And so that's why Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before others. Living the light, brothers and sisters, is about shining with Jesus and shining just like Jesus. And this brings us to our final point for this morning. Living the light is about his light in us. Bringing others to glorify our Heavenly Father. Living the light is about His light in us, bringing others to glorify our Father. Brothers and sisters, this is what Jesus did. And this is what we are to do, and we're to do it together. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, verse 16, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And when he says your good works, he uses the plural. He's making, I believe, reference here to the church. It's not individuals going on their own doing superstar works. He's talking all the time collectively. This idea of light is what the church is. And I want to point this out, brothers and sisters, because we're living in a new age. I just spoke with a pastor who was saying most of the people who are coming into our church right now, it's a foreign idea for them to be at church every Sunday. It's a foreign idea to gather together. It's a foreign idea to be consistent. It's a lifestyle as if you were part of the Rotary Club or as if you were part of a skiing club or a shooting club or a a tennis club. I show up when when I go there, it's great, and then I'm gone. But the point that Jesus comes and makes is being part of his life, family, and ministry is that we are together all the time. Not necessarily physically, but spiritually. And we gather together. And this is where things happen. This is God's plan of salvation. And the focus through which the Lord is bringing his plan of salvation into the world. That's the way we used to function, brothers and sisters. But not anymore. When we let our light shine before others, so that they may see our good works. It's not about an individual endeavor that brings attention to me. It is not just the pastor who preaches on Sunday. That's the old world. It's us together, united with Christ and united with one another. And when we do that, we're going back to that old, single, dark lifestyle. Now, Matt, when you marry Josephine, Are you going to bring her back to Ringwood? (laughs) Randall here? Randall, when you carry Molly across the threshold, that evening after the wedding celebration, you're going to say, okay, we're back at Ringwood. Let me bring you into this fabulous life of mine. You'd be insane to do that. Right? Irrational, crazy. God has given you this new life and it's not meant to be hidden in some room in Ringwood with all your old roommates. You're meant to go out and live that absolutely new life. And people are meant to see that you are now married in one flesh and that you've embarked on this new life. That's what the whole honeymoon is all about. And brothers and sisters, our Christian life is meant to be different in the same way as well. Radically different in its union with Christ and our union with one another and our walking in the light with Christ. 
And brothers and sisters, for a sinner who's truly saved, this is the greatest joy of all until we get to heaven. Where would you rather be? Thanksgiving, New Year's, and every other time. We are meant to shine with Christ and like Christ. Let your light shine before others. And then he says, so that they may see your good works. Now this is interesting. Because when we think about that, we say, okay, what are these good works? And the church is preoccupied with doing good works so people notice and they come through the door. Do we build hospitals? Do we start children's programs? Do we send missionaries overseas? What do we do? And, and, and all of these different ways in which the church virtue signals online the same way the world does. But brothers and sisters, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And good works, brothers and sisters, well, Jesus says no one is good but God. So when he's talking about good works, brothers and sisters, he is talking about the work of God in you. He's talking about the gospel. And the context is the Beatitudes. What is God's work in you? To give you poverty of spirit. To give you a heart that breaks over sin, not just yours, but the person who's sinning against you. To give you a humble dependence on the grace of God. To give you a hunger and thirst for righteousness rather than all the modes of entertainment and holidays and all the things that you used to pursue to help you to forget the darkness of this world. To be willing to call sinners to repentance regardless of the cost. To be a peacemaker. This is God's amazing work in you. God's work in you. And what is the greatest work of all, brothers and sisters? Christ on the cross. That is where he destroyed sin and death and the devil's work once and for all. And it, as it gets applied in your heart and mind, that is what destroys darkness and sin and idols in our hearts. And so that's why as we shepherd folks who are struggling in sin, it's not a radical amputation. Turn this off, turn this off, turn this off. The whole point of radical amputation is you need to take Jesus more seriously. You need to see that the remedy is Christ in you. And you need to abandon that and be covered with that and walk with him rather than keep on going back to your old vomit. It's the good news, brothers and sisters, of who Jesus is. How did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Did he raise an army? Did he get better tanks? Did he start a hospital? No. He said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he gave his life in obedience to the word of God by the power of the Spirit. That, brothers and sisters, is the power of the gospel that we are not ashamed of. Because that's what saves people. Because in it is a righteousness from faith to faith. Brothers and sisters, do we consider our lives and realize that God has done an amazing work? We're not perfect. But a life of repentance and faith is a miracle from God. And this is what is placed on display in your place of work, on the soccer team, with your kids schooling, with who you rub shoulders. It's the beatitude life of Christ in you. That is the mighty work of God. And as he says... 
when it truly is a work of God, God's good works, it does not bring attention to you. And that's, brothers and sisters, helps us to avoid celebrating our giftedness. It brings attention to who? Our Father who is in heaven. He says, they see, the world outside sees God's good works. The gospel work in your life, transforming lives, destroying the works of the devil, setting you free from darkness. And they see that unbelievers, something is different here. A work of God is going on here and they give glory to our Father in heaven. And by saying that our Father, he begins to show this relationship that what's being recognized is you are no longer children of darkness. The mighty work of God is that you are a child of light and it's recognized by people. They may say, I don't know what's going on here, but this person is different. Something is different here. And I either want it or I want to turn it off. The difference, brothers and sisters, when they're our works, and Paul reminds, as he writes to Titus and Timothy, that we're not saved by our works of righteousness. When they're our works of righteousness, we get the praise. Pastor Mark, what a great sermon. Pastor Mark, let me buy you lunch. As opposed to on our hands and knees before the Lord and saying, Lord, thank you for being gracious to a sinner like me. Save me. And may I be an encouragement for others to come to you. What does it mean, brothers and sisters, to live the light? What does it mean to be a part of his life, his family, and his ministry? What does it mean? It means to shine like Jesus and be with Jesus. It means to live the life he's given you and to realize he hasn't given you second best, brothers and sisters, and you don't have to go out there and make a billion dollars to put some sort of imprint on the web, basically to say, I'm a Christian, this is what's going on, come and see us. It's amazing, brothers and sisters, how often it is the quiet and it is the meek and it is those who the world chooses to ignore so often who are the ones in the history of the church who the Lord has used to change the world. I think of Ignatius and Polycarp, two disciples of the Apostle John, who wrote, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And Ignatius, as he is captured as an older man, and he's hiding in a barn, and the soldiers come in, and they find their way, and they come in, he sees that the soldiers have been hungry, and they have not eaten in their pursuit. Probably, if they don't capture him, their necks are on the line. And so before he is taken, he instructs his host to provide the soldiers with food. And after they have been fed and after they have been eaten, that agrees that they go together. And eventually he goes to his martyrdom. Polycarp, in his 80s, asks to burn incense to the emperor. And what does he do? He says before them all, I'm 80 plus years old. Our Lord and Savior has never betrayed me or treated me poorly. Why would I deny him now? But then he reminds them, you may burn me for a season or for a moment, but those who deny the Savior are going to burn in hell for eternity. 
Whew. You think that got them all warm and fuzzy and say, oh, let Polycarp off the hook? Well, they burned him. 84 years old. But it's the spirit of Christ, brothers and sisters, in him and through him. And so there's one application I want to give you this morning. Brothers and sisters, pray. And pray together. Because prayer expresses our dependency on the Lord. And praying as we gather together with the saints and we pray through God's word, we express that poverty of spirit and we come to the Lord and we, by faith, walk and demonstrate and show that what we need, we already have. The life of Christ in us. And those prayers become a celebration of thanksgiving and gratitude. But pray for your co-workers. Pray for your place of work. Pray for the parents you interact with on your soccer teams and your sports teams. Do you wake up in the morning before you go to work, especially with people who are unkind to you? And do you stop and say, I have something to give. I have the light of Christ. I have something that these people so desperately need. And do we get down on our knees and pray for them? And show that the light that is in us cannot be hidden, but instead... It saves the worst of sinners. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, may we just be what you've made us to be. Lights in dark places. Thank you for all that you do in our hearts and our lives. The mercy and grace that you show. Thank you for the calling that you've given us. May we never be ashamed of it, but instead, would we celebrate your good work in our hearts and our lives. In your name we pray, amen.